0: Chapter Eleven of Jill's Red Bag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adelina Jill's Red Bag by Amy Lefebvre. Chapter Eleven: A Donkey Ride. Both Jack and Bumps were on the sick list for the next few days. Bumps had sprained her foot. "'and Jack's cut on his head was a deep and painful one. "'When he recovered, he told his adventures to his sisters with much relish, "'but for once Jill took Bump's part and told Jack he had treated her very badly. "'You ought to have stopped when your paper came to an end and come back to her. "'How could she follow you, especially when you drove in a cart? "'It wasn't fair. "'It was that old brute's fault. "'He nearly broke his stick over my shoulders. "'I'll pay him back when I get a chance.' I've got the marks now. I can feel them. I couldn't walk home. I was so hurt. So I told Mike to drive me into Thornton, and then I was going to our butcher. I knew he would take me home. That was rather clever of you, admitted Jill. But did you forget all about bumps? Oh, I knew she would never come on so far. If you'd been with her, it would all have been all right. And I thought you were. I told her to bring you, so it was really all your fault. This was turning the tables upon Jill. I suppose, she said slowly, I ought to have looked after her. But Bumps breathlessly protested, I was all right, I runned ever so fast, and I saw the paper, and never was frightened of the cows, and I would have catched him, Jill, I really would, only I couldn't get over the paling, and my legs stuck where they oughtn't to, and then I tumbled on my head, and... Bumps came to a stop. Then she added piteously, "I'll do better next time, Jack. I really will." And Jack replied with a patronizing air, "Oh yes, you'll do when you grow bigger." "Maude is coming back, children," said Miss Webb one morning as she opened her letters at the breakfast table. She does not say why she is coming home so much sooner than she intended, but I suppose she will tell us. She will be here this afternoon. The children were delighted. Mona was a constant source of interest and admiration to them. When she was in the house, there was a stir and bustle. The very servants seemed to go to sleep in her absence. Miss Webb had tea out upon the lawn that afternoon, and when Mona arrived, she seemed struck with the children's orderly dress and behavior, and the quiet peacefulness of the old garden. "'There is no place like home, after all,' she said, as she sat in a low wicker chair with bumps on her lap. Miss Webb looked at her with keen eyes you're worried and tired about something she said didn't you enjoy your visit very much till yesterday and mona gave a little shiver then she bent her lips and touched bump's golden head with them caressingly i had a full programme she said with a little laugh the tambourne races to-day the regatta to-morrow and lady donald's ball next monday followed by her village theatricals and concert there was an awfully nice girl staying with us. Maude Kirkton was her name. She used to come into my room every night to have a chat, and I was going to bring her back here to stay with me. She was rather seedy a few days ago, and we thought it a heavy cold. Only last night she was sitting up with me, and though her head was very bad, we were making wonderful plans. This morning she was covered with a thick rash. I heard she had been almost light-headed in the night. The doctor came and pronounced it scarlet fever. Of course there was a general stampede, I'm terrified lest she should have infected me. What do you think, Miss Webb?' Miss Webb looked grave, then quietly took Bump off Mona's lap and sent her indoors, telling the others to follow. "'You don't think of the children,' she said, a little reproachfully. "'The children? Good gracious! You're taking it for granted I'm going to get it. Why, Miss Webb, it drives me frantic to think I may. What can I do? Shall I send for a doctor for some preventative?' Miss Webb saw the girl was thoroughly frightened and unstrung, so she spoke very quietly. "'You are not a weak, hysterical girl, Mona. Do, for pity's sake, control yourself. It is not very likely you will take it. But if you did, there are many things worse than scarlet fever. What makes you so frightened?' "'Oh,' said Mona, covering her face with her hands, "'I might die. It seems so awful to think about it. And wasn't it strange, Miss Webb, we had a sermon last Sunday with the gruesome text?' Prepare to meet thy God. No, don't let us talk any more about it. Give me another cup of tea. I call it ridiculous to send the children away. Mona pulled herself together with an effort. After that one revelation of her frightened soul, she did not touch the subject again, but Miss Webb walked her anxiously and would not let the children be much with her. A week afterwards, Mona was taken ill with the disease she so much dreaded. Her extreme nervousness about herself did not help her. Miss Webb promptly telegraphed to Miss Faulkner. "'Scarlet fever in-house. Can you take the children to seaside?' And although Miss Barkner had only had a month's holiday instead of six weeks, she replied at once, "'Certainly we'll return to-morrow.' "'It's rather exciting,' said Jack to Jill, as they stood in the schoolroom window, watching for the arrival of their governess. "'I don't want Mona to be ill, but I'm jolly glad we're going to the seaside.' I'm glad Miss Faulkner's coming with us, but I rather think I'd like to have Scarlet Fever. It must be so nice to have the doctor and a nurse and jellies and beef tea and everybody fussing over you. The arrival of the carriage stopped further discussion, and in another moment all three children were flinging themselves upon their governess, nearly choking her with their eager embraces. They went the next day to a small seaside place about three miles from Chilton Common. There was a nice sandy beach, a row of lodging-houses, a stone pier and fishing-wharf, and the children were perfectly content with their lot. Annie came with them, and their landlady knew them well, for it was not the first time they had been there. "'Miss Faulkner, can't we go and see Chilton Common one day?' asked Jill, soon after they had arrived. "'Why, you funny child,' said Miss Faulkner, smiling. "'The only reason you liked to go to Chilton Common was because you could see the sea in the distance.' and now you are actually at the sea, you want to go to the common. Ah, said Jill, but I want to find the place where our mission room is going to be. I forgot that, admitted Miss Faulkner, but it is too far for you to walk, Jill. We must wait till we get home, I think, and then we can drive there. So Jill tried to be patient, and she was very fond of mounting a small hill close to the town where she could get a fine view of the common, and one day Miss Faulkner found her there, shaking her red bag wildly in the air at it. "'There!' she was saying. "'Do you see the place you are going to build upon? "'The fatter you get, the better for Chilton Common.' "'They heard from Miss Webb, "'but her letters always smelt of carbolic, "'and Miss Falkner burnt them directly. "'She had read them. Mona was very ill, "'and one morning Miss Faulkner got a letter "'that rather startled her. "'It was as usual from Miss Webb. "'Dear Miss Falkner," I remember you told me that you were not afraid of scarlet fever, having had it a few years ago. Would you be afraid of coming to Mona? She's crying out for you incessantly night and day, and I do not think it mere delirium. She says you would help her get well, and the poor girl seems in terror lest she should not do so. Dr. Forbes said her mind could be eased. There would be more chance of her recovery. Leave the children with Annie. I am sure they will be good when they know that Mona needs you. And nothing seems to compare to Mona's life. If you feel you can come, come at once. Miss Faulkner went straight to her room and put up a few things in a portmanteau. She called Jill to her and told her about the letter. I'm going to trust you, Jill, to keep the others out of mischief and ask God, dear, to make your sister better, if it is his will. Jill looked rather blank at the news. You are always leaving us now, she said, and Jack won't do what I tell him. He never would. "'Monna's got Miss Webb. She doesn't want you, too.' This was very much Annie's opinion. "'Miss Barron doesn't ever think of anybody but herself,' she confided to Mrs. Pratt, the landlady. "'If she took a fancy to see one of the children, she'd never think of the risk to them, but she'd insist upon them coming to her. "'She's a nice young lady to speak to, but she's always had her own way, and poor Miss Faulkner must go help nurse her now.' When Miss Faulkner came softly into the sick-room, she was shocked at the change in Mona. She lay with crimson cheeks and parched, dry lips upon her pillows, restlessly turning her head to and fro. Her beautiful hair had all been cut off, her eyes were dull and vacant, her voice husky and indistinct. A gleam of recognition lit up her face as Miss Faulkner stooped over her and spoke to her. "'Is it Miss Faulkner? You are good. You know how to pray. I'm not ready to die. Pray for me.' It is cruel to take my life so soon, and he will keep preaching. Prepare to meet thy God. Do stop him. Of course it is Cecil Arnold. I laughed at him, but I knew I was wrong, and he was right. I can't prepare. I don't know how to. And why should I give up a tenth of my money? Even little Jill is laughing at me. She and Cecil Arnold putting their heads together, and he won't look at me. He doesn't care for me any more. Oh, if only you will help me. This, and much more, in the same strain she poured forth. Miss Faulkner soothed her for the time, and the next day, when she was lying weak and exhausted, but fully conscious, she spoke again. "'Do you think I shall get over this, Miss Faulkner?' "'I think I hope you will,' said Miss Faulkner brightly. "'I am praying that you may.' "'I know I have lived only for pleasure. But if—oh, if God spreads my life, I will give him some of my money. It has worried me so.' Even the children are giving now more than I do. There is something God wants more than your money, said Miss Falkner gently. It is of more value to him than that. What is it? Oh, if I get well, I will give it. Life is everything to me. It is your soul. The words were spoken in a soft whisper, and there was silence in the room for some time after that. At last, Mona put her wasted hand out. I will give it to him if he spares my life. Jack, Mona is going to get well. Miss Webb has written to tell us so. Oh, do let us do something jolly today. We'll have a donkey ride. There's a man just come along the road with four of them. Come on. But, alas, when purses were produced, only eight pence could be collected, and the donkey man shook his head. I wish, said Jack disconsolately. That we needn't always be giving to the bag. Jill got hot and indignant at once. You greedy, wicked boy, after your vow, too. Remember Ann, Ananias, and Sapphira? But they took the money, I haven't. No, but you're almost wishing to. I'm not. What's the matter, my boy? Asked an old lady, who was sitting on a sheltered seat in the beach, had overheard a part of this conversation. "'We want a donkey ride,' said Jack bluntly, "'and we haven't got enough money.' The old lady quietly drew out a rusty black bag from her pocket. "'I used to like donkey rides when I was a little girl,' she said. "'So I'll treat you to one. Where would you like to go?' The children could hardly believe their ears. But Jill's one thought came up her most at once. "'To children common,' she said, Oh, we should love to go there the old lady spoke to the man where is your nurse she said will she like you to go so far oh annie won't mind we always play out here till dinner-time so in a few minutes four donkeys were going at a steady trot towards chiltern common the man himself riding on one of them it seemed a long way to the children but Jill enlivened the way by telling the man about their tenth bag and the room that they hoped to build on the common. "'You might help if you like,' she suggested. "'You could give a tenth out of what the lady is going to give you this morning. It's going to be a tenth room or church, because it's going to be built out of our tents.' "'Don't believe in parsons or churches,' said the man emphatically. "'Do you mean you don't like them?' questioned Jill. "'Don't you go to church yourself?' Never been inside a church since I were a Sunday school brat. Oh, that sounds dreadful, said Jill, eyeing him with severity. "Fact," the donkey man said, giving Jill's donkey a vicious whack with his stick and making her start off at a gallop. But Jill could stick to her donkey and to her point at the same time. Well, if you don't want to go to church, other people do, and they can't do it on Shelton Common. You wait till we get there, and then you will see what it is like. "'And I'm sure you would like to give God some of your money, wouldn't you? "'You must get a lot of money by your donkeys. "'Everybody likes to ride on donkeys.' "'I'm a poor man and has a hard job to get my vittles,' was the response. "'Let rich folk build churches and such like. "'Let them throw away their money on such foolery. "'But a hard-working man has better to do with his.' "'But,' argued Jill, who from her long discussion with Sam "'was quite prepared for these sentiments,' You aren't as poor as we are. If no one gives me a present, I get three pence a week. But it doesn't matter how little you have. The first ten pennies you get, you put one aside for God. Now do, won't you? You really ought to, for God gives you your donkeys and your money. Supposing your donkeys broke your leg, or you broke yours, then you wouldn't be able to get any money. And if God takes care of you and your donkeys every day, I expect he's very disappointed that you don't give him a little money. This and much more Jill eagerly poured forth, and at last her driver took refuge in silent chuckles and shakes of his head. He would not be drawn out any more. They arrived in due time on the common. It was a lovely day, and a few women came out on their doorsteps to watch the little cavalcade. The children dismounted, and began earnestly disputing about the best site for the mission room. Jill took into her confidence one of the women who seemed greatly interested. You see, she said, Mr. Arrington and us are going to build a church here when we can get enough money. Where would you like it put? We ain't churchgoers, said the woman, laughing. No, but you will be when you get a church. Now, said the donkey-man, getting bolder when he saw he would be supported by a majority, will he tell us, little miss, what girl to church does he? He raised his voice, and several lads and women drew near to listen. Jill climbed back on her donkey. She did not like the look of the rough boys, but she bravely held her ground. "'It's a place where you can hear about Jesus,' she said reverently, "'and where you can ask him what you want. Miss Faulkner says he is always there to meet you.' "'And what good does he do?' asked a lad with a mocking laugh. "'He helps you to set out, and to keep going on to the Golden City,' said Jill, looking at him with shocked disapproval. You wait till you get your church, and Mr. Errington comes out to tell you all about it. You'll wish, when you hear about it, that you'd been told hundreds of years ago. There was loud laughter, but one of the women came forward and looked at Jill somewhat wistfully. "'Your golden city reminds me of a hymn I used to sing in Sunday school,' she said. It began, "'Jerusalem the Golden.' "'Yes, I know it,' said Jill." And when you get your church, I'll ask Mr. Errington to let you have that hymn every Sunday, if you like. Shall we have hymns singin'? questioned a boy, with a white face and a dark shock of hair. Who will do the music? Mr. Errington will do it all, said Jill, with proud emphasis. And when the church is open, I shall come over, and Jack, and Bumps, and Miss Faulkner. And we'll be in our Sunday clothes, and you will be in yours, and the church will be crammed and there will be lots of music and singing, and we shall all enjoy it awfully. And after it's over—here her imagination ran away with her—we'll all shake hands and say how glad we are, and then we'll have flags waving and bells ringing and a lovely tea which we'll all sit down to together, and cakes and buns and tea and urns, like a school feast. Jack, who had been listening in silence, broke in now with enthusiasm. And then we'll have three cheers for the king, and three cheers for Mr. Arrington, and three cheers for our red bag that got the money, and we'll finish up with the bonfire and fireworks. Jill pulled out her red bag, which she had stuffed into her pocket, and wildly waved it in the air. Hooray for Chilton Common Church! she cried, and the children and rough lads round her joined in her cheer with hearty goodwill. Now, she said, relapsing from enthusiasm into business, where would you like us to build it? there was a little silence some of the women went indoors the group thinned jack looked round wisely i think we'll let mr errington choose the place he said i'm sure it's time to go back well said jill turning to the blacksmith who had left his forge and had come out to know what the cheers were about i've told you what is going to happen and if you like to give a tenth of your money and give it to god i will take it and put it in my red bag and give it to mr errington the blacksmith put his hand in his pocket and brought out a sixpence. There be my mite towards it, he said. I always did say a parson up here would be the thing. Jill thanked him profusely, dropped the sixpence in her bag, and the children rode away, followed for a short distance by a screaming crowd of small boys and girls. End of chapter 11 Recording by Adele